Please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Colossians chapter number 3. We're going to enter into the third chapter of this epistle. And this morning, I want to consider the subject and really will take for the title of this entire chapter, simply Risen with Christ. Risen with Christ. What should the new man, the new woman in Christ be seeking. This is what the Apostle Paul deals with in this chapter. He gives an exhortation to the saints. He gives an exhortation to the church. He deals with a number of different subjects. He deals with a number of different things that had arisen in the church. But it's meant for our encouragement, certainly meant for our edification. Look with me there at verse number one. He says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, even if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect 
of persons. Amen. This chapter, of course, as we read and intentionally wanted to read the entirety of that chapter to set the context of everything that Paul is saying. There are some very specific responsibilities, very specific obligations, obligations as those who are part of the body of Christ, obligations with regard to husbands and wives and children and masters. And all of it is based upon the reality of if you are risen with Christ, then these things should be. This should be the manner and the state of life for the believer. Paul is exhorting, first and foremost, to seek things that are above. Not to seek the things of this earth, not to set the world's affections before us, but to make our affection Him. Uh, This is meant to enforce and to edify and to encourage us because we have been risen with Christ. Uh, This particular chapter in most of the book of Colossians is not written to the unbeliever. It's written to those who are in the body of Christ. There is primarily not contained here an evangelistic message as much as it is a message of exhortation. These arguments that Paul is making uh, arise from the very fact that you have in fact been risen with Christ and that Christ who now is in heaven at the Father's right hand, we also are seated in those heavenly places as Paul makes mention of later. We have our safety, we have our security, we have our satisfaction in Christ Jesus. I love that verse in verse 4, when Christ who is our life. Uh, He is not a part of our life. He is our life. And he gives this glorious truth of one day, this Christ who is our life shall appear. And then we will also appear with him in glory. He's speaking to those who certainly know about this Christ. Within the text and within what we read today, we won't cover all of this, but within the text, Paul deals in verse 5 with the mortification of, of sin or the putting to death, uh, the deeds of sin, the deeds of the flesh. And he reminds about the wrath of God that is coming upon men who live in these and die in their sins. He wants them to consider their former state. He wants them to consider what you once were and that if you are risen with Christ, you are no longer living as one who is still in that dead condition by walking and living as one who has been risen with Christ. We'll see later that he uses a metaphor about the putting on and the putting off of garments, the putting on of new garments and the putting off of old garments. Uh, it is with, with the illustration of putting off the old man and the, the deeds of the old man, the desires of the flesh. It's not the first time Paul has made mention of this battle between the old and the new nature. And then again, he talks about not only the word of God, but the worship of God. How the word of God and the word of Christ should have a place in us. It should have a place where the word abides in us. And I love it. There's so many great verses here, but verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Notice this, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace. You realize even when we gather together 
for corporate worship, we are admonishing and teaching one another by what we sing, what we hear, what is said. This is the beauty of being in the body of Christ. We do it in the name of Christ with all thankfulness being given to God. And then over the next couple of weeks, we'll close the chapter out with looking at the responsibilities of husbands and wives and children's by children and masters as well. So primarily this morning, I want to set our attention just on the first four verses. And if we don't get through them all today, we'll pick up again next week. Notice Paul, as we think about this first, uh, first portion of this chapter, deals with asking or stating it very clearly. If ye then be risen with Christ. If this is so, if this is your testimony, if this is your state, if you are risen with Christ, then seek those things which are where above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now remember, we saw in, verse, in chapter number two how there had been this desire of the false teachers to come in and to reintroduce again these rituals and these ceremonies and these uh, setting apart of particular days. And he simply is now answering with response into that by simply saying, look, if you are risen with Christ, don't seek those philosophies and will worship of men. Rather, seek that and seek him who is above. Again, our flesh fights against the reality of needing to seek and do something more. We are always looking to add. We're always looking to, to, to put something with. And he says, look, if you are risen with Christ, seek things which are with Christ. Seek those things which are above. It is, it is not uh, this life. It is not the things of this world. Uh, if you've been risen with Christ, remember the power of a risen Savior. Remember what it is to have a Savior who has been risen. If you've been risen with Christ, Paul says, don't live as if you've never been risen. Seek those things which are above. Pursue after Christ. This is, in a sense, the way Paul is admonishing them, of course, but this uh, Paul's pattern is his pattern of prayer throughout this epistle and also the other epistles. He wants them to grasp the reality of who Christ is and what their standing as being risen with Christ actually means. Where does Christ reside? He is seated at the right hand of God. Think about what Christ is doing there. Christ is interceding on behalf of those who have been risen with Him. He has gone up we remain here. Paul says, don't seek the things that are here. Seek the things which are above. Seek not the things of this earth. Seek the things of Christ. Seek those things where your life has gone. When Jesus himself said, wherever your treasure is, let your heart be also. Wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. He says, seek those things which are above, not those things which are of this earth. And then notice Paul in verse 2 talks about their affection. He says, set your affection on things above, 
not on things on the earth. So seek things which are above and also set your affection on things which are above. Both times he makes mention of the reality of seeking those things which are above. I think it's pretty interesting that Paul does not say set your affections, but rather single affection. Set your affection. All of your affections, everything that you are, should be set on Christ. Christ is not one of the many things we have affection for. He is the affection of our heart. All that we are should be about setting our affection on Christ and who He is. To be risen with Christ means we, have, we are dead to this life. If we say that we're dead to this life and we're alive and risen with Christ, then we should live as one who has been risen. We're not supposed to live the life like those who've never been risen with Christ. We are supposed to live differently. We are supposed to be different. Our affection is not supposed to be set on the things of this world. It is supposed to be set on the things of God. It's supposed to be set on Christ. The greatest proof that we're actually risen with Christ is where we set our affection. How can our affection be Christ if it's set on the things of this world? Our affection is set on Christ. If we are really and truly risen with Christ, our affection is set on the things above. If we profess that we're dead to this life, if we profess that this world is of no real value to me, then we'll live as if we are risen with Christ, buried with Christ. There ought to be truth in what we profess. If we profess to be risen with Christ, then our life should prove that. Paul says, if this is true, if this is in fact what has happened, if you truly are alive and risen in Christ, here is where your life should be. Paul, just for good measure, in verse 3 says, for ye are dead. He's speaking about the old life here. He says, your old life is dead. And you're also dead to it. You're not going to be consumed by the dead life. You're not going to be controlled by the dead life. You have a much higher living life. Life is one who's been risen with Christ. Oftentimes we make the error of looking forward to our new life, looking forward to our eternal life, you have that new life now. You already have new life in Christ. Your old life is dead. Your old life is not to be the controlling factor in your life. Your old life is not to consume you. It's not to drive you. It's not to be where your affections are set upon. No, he says your life is hid with Christ. Where is Christ? He is seated at the right hand of God. Friends, our drawings and our desire and our affection should be continually being drawn upward, not on this life. Everything in this world is driving you to set your affection here. To set your affection in this dead life, and that's exactly where it'll bring you. It'll bring you to a dead life. Paul says, no, he says, you set your life 
above. That's why I believe that as he gets into this particular passage, and as we look at it, and he talks about all these things that we're to put on and all these things we're to put off, the end result is like we already read in verse 16, is that the word of Christ dwells in you richly. When these things are put off and the right things are put on, the word of Christ dwells in you richly. Your affections are proper. You're no longer seeking those things which are dead. But you are seeking this Christ because your life is hid with Christ. Not only when we're life being hid, remember what Christ did for us. Christ died for the sins of his people. And because of his sacrifice, to be hid with Christ means we are eternally safe. We are eternally secure. There is none that can separate us. We are, in fact, in Christ Now again, remember, if we take this out of context, there was a deception that was coming in to the church at Colossae. They were being seduced. They were attempted to be persuaded to move away from this and to go back to the old ordinances, which Paul said were only a shadow. Remember, he said, don't let them beguile you. Your life is secure in Christ. Don't look beyond that. Christ who is our life, he says in verse 4, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him. Think about this for a moment. Christ as he was here was hidden to many. The Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. The world did not know him. Really, that's part of the application here. That your life, who Christ who is your life, your life here, it may be hidden to those. They may not, they are not going to know the Christ that you know. But one day there will be a glorious revealing of that life that is hid with Christ. There's a wonderful promise here. When Christ who is our life shall appear. Friends, I hope you know this morning that Christ will appear. And he will manifest his glory. He is coming again. And he's coming again, not to go and come back in, 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 in a manger and come back and, and live the perfect life and go to the cross again. No, he's coming in power. He's coming in glory. And he says, when he shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. What a great promise that is. Right now, you may feel as if life, you are hidden now. Just as Jesus, when he was here, his life was hidden. They did not know him. But when Christ comes again, that second time in glory, I love what's said in Matthew 13, verse 43, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father who hath ears to hear, let him hear. We're not to seek greatness here. We're not to seek affection and satisfaction here. We're not even to ask for the exaltation of ourselves here saying, I I want to be exalted among the people. I, I I want to be lifted up above others. Paul says, wait for the true glory that's coming. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear. What a glorious truth is here. Now these great truths, as great as they are in these first four verses, notice Paul gives them an exhortation. And he says, mortify. Mortify 
or to kill the members which are upon the earth. Now remember, Paul is, is not just talking randomly here. He's warning again against what had been spoken in chapter 2 about all of these outward things. Okay, when we see these mortification of the members which are upon the earth, he's talking about, yes, these specific sins, but he's also talking about even the, the, the temptation to put confidence in your flesh, to put confidence from a standpoint of being right with God. Understand that those are the deeds of the flesh he talks about, and they're, they're very descriptive. He talks about fornication. He talks about uncleanness. He talks about inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. And he clearly states that these things, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. But notice what he says, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. This is the way you walked when you were not living risen with Christ. These are the things you walked in. This was your manner of life. These are the lusts of the flesh that are to be put to death. They were once a very real part of you. They very much were part of who you were. Your old man, your nature, this is the direction your life wanted to go. This is what your flesh wanted. And he says, mortify them. Now, what I think is very important here is the difference between the word mortify and restraint. He doesn't say restrain your members. He says mortify it. Kill it. Don't just hold it back. Don't just restrain it. Don't just try to keep them under control. Don't try to just hide them under the surface. Kill them. These are things you, as one who's been risen with Christ, should have nothing to do with. And yet, these evil things don't live in them for a single moment. Now again, he's using what we'll refer to as the head of the, the very obvious and very gross sins. Uh, most people here today are not going to argue with the, the gross sin of fornication, of uncleanness, of inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. But you'll notice that he goes and brings it down very simply to things we can certainly relate to in verse 8. Put off anger. Put off wrath. Put off malice. Blasphemy. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. See, we're tempted to look at, okay, mortify and kill these big, gross sins, but what about the daily sin of anger? What about the daily sin of wrath and malice we, we think we don't have to mention these things sometimes among the saints. What about filthy communication? Filthy communication that comes out of your mouth and he says, you shouldn't do these things. You've put on the new man. This new man kills these things. Evil. 
Now, these things, no doubt, we we can't just simply read and blow by these and think, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. He's talking about something to actually mortify them and kill them. Don't do not allow them to have a single place in the risen life. If we truly understood the depth of sin, if we truly understand a single indulgence in these things, we would take the words of the Apostle Paul much more serious. Friends, you realize anything that he mentions, if you give it a single place in your heart, if you allow that to even start to take root, it will grow, it will corrupt, and it will grow out of control. You give it an inch. I don't mean to be irreverent, but you give it an inch in your heart and it will grow out of control. Now, again, Paul is not making any bones about this. He is not saying, look, if you're a Christian, you don't ever have to worry about this kind of sin entering back into your life. He's saying the exact opposite. Remember, he's speaking primarily to believers and he's telling them these things can happen. Do not let it happen. And by the way, none of these things happen overnight. None of these things happen in an instant. These are things that have been allowed to remain and they keep growing and growing and growing. Nobody falls into these sins overnight. The angry man doesn't become angry overnight. The angry woman doesn't become angry overnight. These are things that are festering. Filthy communication doesn't start overnight. It's because it's not been mortified. It's just been attempted to restrain it. The evil that's been there has been forming. People often say, well, where did this come from? Where did this filthy communication, where did this blasphemy come from? Where did this lie come from? It came from the heart. Jesus himself said, it's not the things on the outside that defile man. It's what's inside him. It doesn't just come on all of a sudden. It's been forming. What comes out on the outside is what has been growing on the inside. It's the old illustration of simply saying, if I would have been watching the house, the thief never would have gotten in to steal. You've got to watch your own heart. I can't watch your own. I can't watch your heart. You can't watch mine. You can't sit here today and tell me what's forming in my heart, and I can't look in your heart and tell you what's forming. I can see outward things, but I can't tell you what's growing in there right now. But I think we all need to be concerned about it. We all need to think about what is he talking about here, this, these, these grosser sins he mentions, but these seemingly daily things. Yeah, our mind is taken to idolatry and we say, yeah, I'm not going to allow idolatry to grow in my heart, but I'm not going to do anything about the lies that I'm telling to one another. He clearly says, don't do these things. He says, you've put off the old man. And notice what he says, the old man has deeds. The old man has certain deeds and certain things in which it is going to do. Those that are in Christ, those that have been risen with Christ, are not to be characterized, if you will, by these things. 
For which things, again, verse 6, sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. When you lived in them, but don't live in them now. You're dead to them. If you fall into these things or you're allowed, you allow that sin to grow, repent of it. The Colossians, brethren, have the same issue that we have. Almost every person Paul would have written to, if not everyone, had to be on guard of these gross evils growing in their heart. The Apostle Paul had to be on guard about it. Paul didn't just simply wander around with a, with a, a protection on him. This, I don't have to worry, I don't have to guard my own heart. No, he had to guard his own heart. No doubt he had to remind himself, Paul, where's my affection set? Is my affection truly on Christ? Is my affection on the things of this world? Or is it the things of heaven? The Colossians had to put their hearts on guard. But put off these. No lies. Put off filthy communication. Put these things away because your union with Christ is a risen life, not a dead life. I mean, think about it. Do we really hate the very appearance of these things? I've heard it so many times, and sadly, it's been said about me. I've said it about myself before. That's just the way that I am. It's a poor excuse. Just because we know the way we are doesn't mean that we cannot repent of that and correct it. I've been guilty of that. That's just the way I am. This is the way I've been. No, that's not what Paul was saying. Paul's not saying, look, if this is who you are. We understand that's who you are. Just stay there. No, he's using strong language. Put off. Mortify. Don't just restrain it. Kill it. And he's assuming that you've put off the old man with his deeds. So again, he's not talking to a lost world here. He's not talking to the man on the street who's dead in his trespasses and sins. He's talking to people who it is assumed they have put off the old man and his deeds. Those deeds shouldn't be there anymore. He should be gone. Now, he doesn't just tell us to put off without putting on. Again, look what he says, and have put on, verse 10, the new man. And I love this word, which is renewed in knowledge. Paul says we are a new creation. We are now risen with Christ. We are not a renovated version of the old man. We're not just a better version of the old man. That is the old man and there is the new man. We're battling both natures. But the reality, he said, you've been renewed. After what? Renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. It's not just some random pattern of life. You have been renewed in knowledge after the image of him. There is nothing false. There is nothing unholy. There is nothing untrue in God. Everything God is, is truth. There is nothing false in him. There is nothing unrighteous in him. 
So what's Paul saying? If I am truly risen with Christ, if I am truly renewed after the image of him that created him, if I'm truly what I profess to be, then I am going to mortify and kill anything that even gives the resemblance of a lie of who I am. See, what he says is all these things that should not be there comes forth as if we are not being truthful to the God that we've been risen with. And we'll pick up in verse 11 next week and Paul very clearly states that no matter whether you're Greek or Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, Christ is all in all. In other words, in this new life, this life where you are risen with Christ, there's no distinction between your race, your nationality. There's no distinction between different families. We become the members of the body of Christ. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to live that risen life. We're supposed to live separate from the world. We put off the, the old man. We put on the new and all these distinctions, all these things vanish when we come to Christ. We are one in Him, and every promise to believers is good to all who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what your background is, no matter where you come from. Remember, when Paul's talking about Greeks and circumcision, barbarian, Scythian, he wasn't just throwing random. There were all sorts of people in these churches. And he is reminding them that all of you who are seated here Christ is all in all. It's not based upon your nationality. It's not based upon who you are. It's based upon who Christ is and what Christ has done. So next week, we're going to pick up in verse 11. We'll do a little bit of a review, back up a couple other, say a few more things about some things we didn't mention today. But I trust that that'll encourage you throughout the week. And just meditate upon this chapter. I hope it'll, hope it'll encourage you. Let's pray.